Welcome to Willamette Common Law. This episode is part of the Matters of First Impression series. I'm Professor Kelly Gamble, Assistant Professor of Law and Director of Academic Excellence here at Willamette. This episode is about torts. Joining me today are Professors David Friedman and Yvonne Tamayo. Both wear two hats at the law school. Professor Friedman currently serves as the College of Law's Associate Dean of Strategic Initiatives, in addition to teaching torts, business organizations, and sales. Professor Tamayo serves as University Counsel for Willamette, in addition to teaching torts, professional responsibility, and practical writing for lawyers. Professor Friedman, Professor Tamayo, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thank you. Great to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourselves. Where are you from? What do you like to do for fun? What's something that animates you or shapes the way you engage with the world? Well, I'll go first. Um, my name is David Friedman. I am from Connecticut originally. I um, I grew up on the, on the East Coast. Uh, what do I like to do for fun? Um, well, these days I'm a baseball dad. So, um, I spend a lot of time on, on the baseball fields of the Northwest. So that's pretty much taking, um, taking up all of my time. Um, do you have, do you have thoughts about the new pitch clock? I like it. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm a Yankee. I grew up as a Yankee fan and I'm a baseball purist. So I don't, and I don't like change. But having watched the baseball games this year, they're much easier to watch on television. So I'm all for it now. Baseball's taken over your life? Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. So it's basically baseball and torts these days is the way I, I describe <laughs> it. As long as they're not at the same time. Uh, Professor Tamayo, what about you? Uh, I'm Yvonne Tamayo. I um, also teach torts amongst uh, other courses. I am also come from the East Coast. I was born in Cuba, came to the United States when I was eight years old, uh, grew up in New Orleans, went to law school in New Orleans, then uh, moved to Miami, practiced law there, civil litigation uh, for about five years. And then I moved over to my true love, which is teaching. I've taught in, um, I taught as an adjunct professor uh, in Miami while I was practicing law at St. Thomas Law School and moved to Boston for three years, taught there. Then Orlando for two years, taught teaching at a brand new law school. And then um, Willamette since then. What do I like to do for fun? I'm not a, a, a baseball person, but I am a basketball person. I love basketball. Are you a Blazers fan? I am a Blazers fan, but, you know, I mean, Miami, the Heat and the Lakers are my favorite, and the Warriors are my favorite to, to watch. Uh, I... I bought a, a house here in Salem with an actual substantial front yard and backyard. So I'm out there taming the beast. That is my uh, garden. Everyone always told me everything grows here, right? In the Willamette Valley, everything grows here. Whether it's you want really, it to or not. That's right. <laughs> it's really amazing. It's really amazing. And because I'm a girl from the tropics, every year I buy banana trees and I put plant them in pots and they're beautiful. And my neighbors um, laugh at my, uh, my attempts at bringing the tropics to the Pacific uh, Northwest, but 
that's what I do because they make me uh, they make me happy. So do you actually get bananas off of them? No, when they're in pots, they don't get big enough. But they do get big enough to be beautiful until yeah. the winter, and then they die. Then I go and buy some more <laughs> in the spring, and uh, and that's how it works. But I, I want to welcome everyone to uh, Willamette Law School. Glad you're here. And I echo that. One other thing Professor Tamayo and I have in common, among many things, including having been at Willamette for a while, is that we're both, both obsessed with cats. And if <laughs> you really want to kind of get us going off on a different track, ask us about our cats. Is yours nearby, David, so you can show the world? She is not. She, um, she's she got other things to do. She's got her own agenda today. <laughs> oh, that's one other thing that I do. I I, um, I volunteer at a local uh, cat rescue here and have been uh, doing so since they opened up 15, 17 years ago. So um, that's a part of my life as well. Great. Let me ask you the the question that's that's really on our listeners' minds here. Both of you teach torts, which is one of the the fall uh, subjects for for one else. What is a tort? I don't even know where to begin to answer that. <laughs> one thing that you'll find that law professors will do first is give you the Latin root. And there is a word called torcere, which means to twist. And that is at the root of this kind of tort. I don't know what's at the root of the tort pastry. I don't know much about that pastry other than- Butter and sugar. There you go. Um, That I like to eat it and it's a good thing. A tort, and um, I'll let Professor Tamayo elaborate on this too, is a wrongful act that infringes on someone else's rights. Um, a wrongful act that would be committed by someone that would entitle a victim to set things straight and to set things straight in court is the way that I would summarize it. And there are a lot of different acts that fall in that category. And maybe Professor Tamayo, um, if you want to elaborate on what those great things are that we teach about. Well, uh, first, I'd like to uh, uh differentiate that a tort is civil litigation. There's no criminal aspect involved. And oftentimes first-year students get get the uh, notions uh, a little bit confused. So it's not about going to jail or uh, any of that. It's about uh, receiving money damages if, if a court finds that the person who harmed you actually harmed you, and then they impose uh, liability. And I think one of the reasons we teach that in the first semester of the first year is that torts are all around us. We, uh, we, you may not know them as a tort, but you will once you start law school. So that's, that's one of my favorite things about one else is by about October, they see torts everywhere and they call them out. You know, like when you're driving and you see cows, the cow, one else always go, that's a tort, right? A tort waiting waiting to happen. Is that that cow trespassing on someone else's land? Right, right. Is that crack in the sidewalk negligence? And and I will say, as as to tack on to what Professor Tamayo said, in the civil justice system, torts are the most common 
thing that people will sue over. So it's the most common subject matter uh, of litigation in our system. So that's one of the reasons why um, why it comes up in the first semester. What are some examples of torts? Just so that I I can get a better kind of grasp on, without getting into you know false graph or any of the really weird ones. Well, torts are uh, can be negligence, or there can be an intentional tort, which means that the person intentionally harms someone else. Uh, negligence is much more uh, abundant in uh, in lawsuits. So. Uh, say you have a swimming pool without a fence around it in your backyard and you invite children over and one of them uh, falls into the pool, can't swim and um, suffers medical injuries. Now, the parents of that child could very well sue the homeowner for negligence, the failure to act reasonably in securing the swimming pools. So swimming pools and trampolines are examples I often use because in my mind, those are towards waiting to happen if folks don't take the precautions to put a fence around it or somehow keep whoever uses it from injuring themselves. Right, or just, I would say, the most common thing is an automobile accident. Um, Someone backs up in the parking lot and isn't looking and hits another car. Um, we have some common sense notions about who is accountable in, in a circumstance like that. But then there are things that can get more uh, more complex than that. But I, I can give you a laundry list um, of some things that assault and battery are examples of intentional torts. And they have their own specific meaning that may be different from what we might think those terms mean. And that's something that we will talk about in detail in our in our course. And um, I teach, so negligence is really about the law of accidents and it's pretty complicated. And that's in, in my, my course, I, I cover that material first. And after we're done talking about accidents, put kind of broadly, we talk about, um, as Professor Tamaya pointed out, the intentional torts. So things that happen on purpose. So somebody hits another person, for example, or somebody trespasses on somebody else's property. We, we talk about those things uh, later. And we also talk about emotional distress torts. So what happens if somebody intentionally inflicts emotional distress on another person? Uh, what sorts of things fall in the category of things that you can collect for and things that you can't? So we talk about those sorts of things. How did you get interested in teaching torts or was it, was it thrust upon you and you learned to love it? Uh, I, I know that, that, you know, you don't always choose what you teach, but both of you have been teaching torts for quite a while and your, your fan favorites among our, our one else. So what, what keeps you coming back to torts? I love torts because um, first of all, I love teaching first year students and torts are so ab- abundant in real life that it's easy to, to bring in real life scenarios and discuss with my students. For example, I just read that yesterday, uh, allegedly Britney Spears was slapped by the bodyguard of a basketball player. She says she just, she reached out to him and touched him to get an autograph. Um, uh, 
he says she grabbed him from the back. But regardless, his bodyguard supposedly slapped her. Okay. So that in and of itself, that that could be a conversation of uh, for hours. How did she touch him? Did she grab him or did she barely tap him? Uh, the bodyguard, if he did slap her, is that an intentional tort? He did it intentionally, but uh, was it self-defense of another? So every day, all you have to do is, uh, you know, read the news. And uh, oftentimes I'll, I'll come in the classroom and discuss something that just happened in real life. Professor Friedman, what about you? What I like about the subject matter is that we learn a lot of old bedrock principles. We learn a lot of the the history of how tort law has evolved. We learn about um, how much of it we took over from England and we brought here. And sometimes in in those moments, we might collectively wonder, why are we studying um, all of these older, more ancient things? And the reality is that those principles are very much alive today and help us solve and think about how we resolve disputes today. And to give another example of something current, one thing that I've been looking at is we um, there was recently an extensive trial um, right here in in court in Portland uh, that where they tried to figure out or that what what was happening in that trial was that they were um, trying to figure out who was responsible for the Labor Day fires in 2020. And the plaintiffs were, um, it was a class of people who lost a lot of property in that fire and they sued the power companies. And there were some really fundamental, interesting questions in that case that we talk about right in first year torts. What kinds of duties did the power company have given what they knew? Did they have certain responsibilities? And so these things are pretty high stakes. They're very current. And there's always something new to talk about. As you know, our incoming class is divided into two big sections and six small sections. In the fall, students will take torts, contracts, and civil procedure in their big sections and lawyering in their small sections. Everyone learns the same law, but we don't necessarily teach our courses the same way or even use the same books. In other words, when it comes to torts, you teach the same subject, but you run different classrooms. Let's talk for a minute about what students can expect when they come to your class and what you expect of them in class. Yeah, uh, that's a great that's a great question. The first thing I would uh, advise students is <clears throat> to think of law school as something different and new, which it, it is. Um, and requiring different skills than undergrad. So this is not a continuation of, of undergrad in any way. Uh, the level of preparation that is expected is much higher, not only preparation, but, um, but <clears throat> uh, being ready to be called on and discuss a case or uh, answer a question. Um, so I expect you to be on time to commit to being in the classroom for an hour and, uh, you know, don't walk out, uh, and in, uh, unless you have a, a, a medical reason to do so and basically be prepared, um, 
That's something that lawyers usually is the first thing they say, whether it's in law school or in the practice of law, be prepared. Uh, And I think you can expect that of me as well, that I'll be there on time, that I won't leave the classroom, and that I will be prepared um, to produce an hour of uh, classroom discussion. What What does it look like for a student to be prepared for your class? That's another great question. Prepared means that you you not only read the material, but you probably read it twice or even three times, and you um, you absorbed it, you thought about it, and you're ready to discuss the facts and the legal issues that are raised in a particular case. Professor Friedman, what about you? How do you uh, approach the course? What are your goals for students and and strategies for meeting them? I I would really, one of the ways that I frame this is I want to teach my students how to read. And by that, I don't mean we all know how to read, but how to read uh, legal writing, how to read judicial opinions, which are, you know, at the fundamental nature of the way that we, that we think about the law and study the law, how to read statutes, how to read, how to basically read the law and how to think about things um, analytically. And critically, um, I want my students to understand that lawyers need to see multiple sides of a problem. Being a lawyer is not about just understanding your side of the problem or reinforcing for yourself why you're right. It's being able to anticipate all of the different perspectives and arguments and the different ways that others might see a certain problem and coming away with an understanding that the world um, isn't black and white. There's lots of shades of gray. There's lots of ambiguity and there's lots of, lots of nuance on a macro level, on a high level. That's what I'd like my students to come away with, because I I don't think that the subject matter itself is something, it, it can be complicated at times. It can be pretty complex, but I think that learning that is manageable, but learning all these other kind of softer skills and perspectives around it, I think is, is quite important. One thing that I I would like to echo about what Professor Tamayo said, and maybe put it a little bit differently, is that I want my students to understand that they aren't just here to learn material. The reason why, and I'll see who's listened to this podcast, because I'm going to say, ask the question, why, why are we all here? The reason why we're here, and the reason why students are here, is that in three years, there's a client is going to emerge, who's going to need your professional advice. And you have to be ready to serve your client. You have to be prepared and develop the habits of preparation because your clients are going to demand and need you to be prepared because you're going to be entrusted with handling their most important things with your expertise, their their liberty, um, maybe issues with their family, uh, their livelihood, their property. So we need to get you ready and in the right mindset, not just to know the right things. We're not just teaching an undergraduate subject here. This is professional school. So we're setting you up to be a professional. And this is the first step along that path. Uh, what do you see students struggle with most often in your class or in law school? What's your advice for overcoming those challenges? I'll- what I see is uh, the the adaptation period, the adjustment period uh, from 
the life they've had before to <laughs> a life of um of study and focus and commitment and not having and devoting lots more time to um studying and thinking than you ever have before i think that uh the students that that understand and accept this from the beginning have a lot easier time so it means there's no procrastination you know this is a marathon not a sprint so uh if you used to wait till the last minute uh in undergrad to read the material the night before that doesn't work here um there's no cramming involved and also the uh the issue of keeping up keeping up if you if you're you're reading if you're you know one day behind the next day's coming and the day after that and so it's really important to um commit accept that this is it's a wonderful path that you've chosen and um it'll change your life but it's a new life it's a new life and um uh, you're not going to be available to your friends and your family the way you were before. You will be available. You just have to schedule yourself that way. And so the students that realize this from the beginning, they have a lot um, easier time. And this is something I touched on in a conversation with Dean Galini in our last episode. But the ABA expects students to spend three hours studying outside of class for every hour they spend in class. And a lot of that happens before class, and then it happens again after class, right? And it's an average. It's not each class. There's there's finals time built in. Right. But getting students to realize they're working with the textbook, they're working with supplements, they're doing practice problems on their own that you may not have assigned to them, but that they need to work through to really develop their own ability to work with the material uh, is something that the faster students catch on to that the more likely they are to be successful that first semester. Because as you say, Professor Tamayo, it is really hard to catch up once you fall behind. Professor Freeman, what about you? I, yeah, I, I echo that. I think the, the first years who realize that law school requires your full attention. It's yes. different from undergraduate studies. It might even be different from everybody who's worked comes from a different background. But it as a first year, you've really got about 115 days in in that first semester. And those are 115 days where you have to signal to others who are in your life that this is your primary obligation. They will get you back after 115 (laughs) days. Um, But during that time period, you really have to use your time wisely so that you get the right amount of rest, that you um, retain the right amount of focus, you have to also really think about organizing your time so that you can come to class prepared and then leave class and emerge from class ready to consolidate what you've learned so that you can keep carrying it forward. Uh, but I agree with everything Professor Tamayo said about that. What's your best piece of advice for first-year success or law school success uh, on a kind of a longer-range outlook, and besides obviously taking it seriously and, and treating it as a full-time job? I would say try to clear your life as much as possible of extraneous um, 
influences or uh, drama. Obviously, we have students that come in with spouses or children or, you know, other things that that you have to uh, deal with. But um, but if there's extraneous stuff that's causing you, you know, to bringing you down or confusion or sometimes people come in with, you know, girlfriends or boyfriends that are across the country mm. and they're communicating with them all day long and there's a stress. Understand that that is uh, depleting your self of of energy and focus so the extent to the extent that you can um let those around you know that you're you're going to be available to them in, in a much more structured time rather than any time they choose to call you or or show up because that's disruptive uh and that'll make you a lot happier and and uh, you'll enjoy this as much as you should I have two sort of related, even though they might not seem related pieces of advice. Um, one of which is not to worry so much about what other people are doing. Um, you don't need to worry about what your classmates are doing. Worry about what you're doing and find your passion because everybody's going to have a different passion. Everyone in your class is going to wind up doing probably something different from what you're doing. And that's because the law is such a broad, um, I mean, there's so many different types of lawyers. There's so many different ways to, to use your, your law degree, find your passion, um, explore a lot of different things, try different things so you can find what your passion is and then orient your, your studies and orient your, priorities around that passion. Because once you find that passion and you pursue it, you're really going to start to enjoy things a whole lot more when you start to align your choices with your passion. So be an individual. I think it's tempting because look, in, in the first year, we have everybody doing the same thing. But remember that everybody's going to diverge and, and do different things. And so try to keep that longer perspective. So for their long hours on campus, studying in the library, studying down in Rick's, which is our cafe space downstairs, studying in whatever whatever corner they can find because they are working this as a full-time job. What's your what's your best secret to success or great benefit in in the law school itself uh, that students should be aware of? I'd say as far as uh, studying, good lighting hmm. and quiet quiet and good lighting. So don't think, oh, this is, there's a lot going on, but I can, you know, study anyway. You really can't because this, the, what you're reading is, is, is not easy reading. This is not a magazine that you are reading. So you really need concentration. So, you know, prepare your, prepare the area for, you to be successful and use your time more as efficiently as possible. Uh, and so if you use those tools and you, you do that always, you're going to save a lot of time. You're going to be much more efficient. I think that's really great because we have a lot of students who are, they like to think of themselves as social studiers. Yes. And they'll sit at a table 
and they'll look like they're studying. They've got their book out. They may even be, you know, ergonomically set up with their book stand and they've done their stretches. But most of the time they're looking for who's around and talking with everyone that comes by and then reading, you know, a page here and a page there, which is slower than normal. And it, it, it takes a long time to do legal reading to begin with. And you're not concentrating in a way that that allows you to absorb it the way that you need to, to be prepared for class. And I think the, the sooner students learn that there's, they can set up a time for being social and then, and then carve out that time for not being social so that they can really uh, work with their material, the, the more likely they are to, to find right. success. Our, our world is much more filled with distraction than it ever has been in the course of humanity, right? Right. So I think everything Professor Tamayo is saying about finding the right environment, everything that you're saying about setting yourself up to make sure that you're, you're focused is really important. One thing that I'll hear people say, and not just law students, but people say it in general, they'll say, I'm a good multitasker. <laughs> I can assure you that nobody is a good multitasker. We know this from a great deal of study, not in the, in the law school world, but in the field of psychology and industrial organization, that we are much more efficient and effective at our tasks when we focus. And by the way, that also applies, I know this is a little off topic, to the classroom. So Mm. if your professor permits you to use your laptop or uh, and you're distracted by uh, what's on your laptop because it's not related to the class or you are using your laptop to communicate with other people inside or outside the class, you are not absorbing and you are not in the moment of what is happening in that class. And not every moment in the class is going to be exciting or it's going to be um, like a firework show. Oh, don't sell yourself short. But that that makes things, that that's what makes it really important to stay focused because you have to have the ability to concentrate. And, and again, not to ramble too much, that's another skill you're going to have to carry as a lawyer. If you're distracted when you're, when you're um, engaged in something where you need to be listening and you'll find out what a deposition is pretty soon. And you'll find out, of course, you know what a trial is. If you're not really focused and you're not truly actively listening, that's going to be detrimental to your client. And again, that's why we're here is to be ready to serve clients. So a little bit of a deviation from where you were, where you were going. But I think that um, in terms of the building, um, we have the the physical building, but also take advantage of the fact that we're all here. You know, come see us. We're we're happy to talk to you. All of your faculty, the staff, we're all here to help you. So so don't hesitate to take advantage of that. And I'll say that most of the faculty offices are on the fourth floor, and there are a lot of stairs to get there, which is always a surprising bit of cardio for everyone. But I think I think uh, more folks. Could could be up there. Everyone works here because we, as you say, we we like to help students, and so please come by and chat. Uh, ask us a question, or if you're not sure how to start the conversation, you know, come in and just say hi, and realize that that you can survive the encounter even if you come up to the fourth floor and and go to a professor's office, even if that's not something you've ever done before. Uh, it can be really helpful. The one thing that I'll hear from students when they come visit me, take up my invitation a little bit late, is I wished I had come to see you earlier. Right. Um, Those are words that I hope I don't hear as often 
Um, even though I tell people that a lot of people say that they'll, they'll wait. The other thing I'd say is take advantage of your, of your fellows. You're going to meet, um, one yes. of your upper level students who's assigned to help guide you through this experience. They are great people to go to for advice about everything. And they can give really good advice because they've all taken torts with either me or Professor Tamayo, for example. Right. That's so right. they, they kind of know how things work and they could probably give you better advice on some dimensions about taking our classes than we can because they, <laughs> they've been in your seats. Let's wrap up with just one more question here. And this one's about Salem more broadly. Do you have a hot Salem tip? Is there a restaurant, a coffee shop, a park, a specialty shop, something to, to do or get involved in that you want to let our students know about? Well, I live in Salem. And so, yeah, there's uh, a lot of students like to go downtown, which is three blocks. Uh, you can walk from um, school archive is a great um, coffee shop and it's a bar at night, but, but mostly it's a place where people go to have coffee and pastries and, uh, read or, you know, go with a couple of, uh, a couple of friends. There are a number of bars, uh, uh, downtown that students sometimes go to, um, you know, Friday evenings for, uh, just to let off some steam uh, and there's every kind of food that you might want downtown, you know, Thai, Chinese, Italian, and uh, so forth. So we have a, a quaint little downtown with many original buildings from the 1800s, which are uh, really beautiful. And, uh, and everything is walking distance. The park by the Willamette River is a great place to to go. You can walk, you can run, you can ride your bike, you can picnic. Uh, so you really don't need a, a car to enjoy Salem. And the campus is beautiful in and of itself. And we are on one side of the campus. We are on the edge of the main university campus. And our building is beautiful and it has everything that you need um, in that building. But what I will say is that if you really want to clear your head, you know, as I do, as somebody who spends a lot of time in that building, if you walk right across the street, you have a really pretty campus with a river that's running through it. And if the weather is nice, there are places to sit and to kind of breathe and to and to contemplate. You can watch the undergrads playing Frisbee. You could play Frisbee if you, if you want to. Um, and they even have a student bistro over there that's operated by the undergrads. The coffee is okay, but the cookies, the cookies, I'm even reluctant to tell everybody about the cookies because it's sold out. Yeah. If, well, and if you start eating them, if you're like me, you won't be able to stop. So, <laughs> and they play great music. They do. Mm. Well, thank you, Professor Tamayo and Professor Friedman. I am uh, glad you took some time to join us here on the podcast. I want to thank you for your time and your wisdom. Thank you. you. Too. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Gamble. This was great. Appreciate it. Thank you for having us. And to all of you who are listening, we look forward to seeing you quite soon.